What a beautiful crowd of folks. It's okay to do that whole church thing where you turn to somebody and be like, you're looking beautiful today. It's okay to do that. You ever been to church and you're forced to lie to somebody? Just kidding. I just told you you're a beautiful crowd. I'm just kidding. It's really good to see you. It really is. Um, some of you have been on like vacation and stuff, and it's so good to see you. Uh, I do want to welcome um, one person um, back today from Africa. Kara, one of our anchor group leaders, is back from Africa. <laughs> been doing some missions. Don't mean to embarrass you. We're so glad to see you. I've heard it's an incredible trip just from tiny little bits I've heard, so we're excited to hear more about that. So uh, it's also a sad day. One of our own is going to be headed to Seattle, moving. Where is Fabiola? We're saying bye to Fabiola today, so we're so glad to see you today, knowing it's last time we get to see you for a while. So thank God for Facebook, right? <laughs> so it's, it's good to see you guys, and we're really excited because everybody's got name tags. You, you see the first names? Hopefully you're learning somebody's name through that. That's not really the big purpose of it today. It's just kind of an added bonus. Today we're starting a series called Names. It's, it's, uh, we've had an incredible summer just diving into faith. Really just what our faith is all about. We just walk through the book of James and just challenging us that it's faith and works. It's, it's an embodiment of both of them. And we spent the month of July just really wrestling with some tough things about our priorities and really what it means to trust God when it comes to Sabbath. And really what it means to just find rest in Jesus and not in anything else. And that really the gift, it's a gift of, of Sabbath, not a commandment. And so today we take a new turn into a series on names. And these incredible moments throughout Scripture in which God changes people's names. It happens like 14, 15 times in Scripture. And all of it, it's for different reasons. And really what we're hoping to get to in this journey is just there's something deeper going on beyond our name. You know, our first name is what people recognize us. It's what they call us by. But we're all more than our name. But really, God, throughout Scripture, the names were significant and unique. And God was changing people's, not just their name, he was changing their identity and what he had called them to do. And so if we don't get anything going forward, what I want us to grab a hold of, if you hate today, if you hate this message, you hate this church and you never come back, if you'll walk away with one thing, is that our identity isn't just something that we just kind of like get one day. You remember you think there's kind of like a light bulb that comes on, oh, I all of a sudden understood everything about my purpose and calling. But rather, it's something that's unfolding, like you're unfolding a fortune cookie every day. <laughs> um, and then our identity and, and purpose in this life is unfolding as we pursue the promise and the, the one who gives us the promise. As we see the one who sees us, our life is transformed. And so uh, first names are something we're really familiar with. We call everybody our first name. Unless you're in the military, you call by your first name, right? Um, and uh, as parents, we know how difficult it is to name a kid. I mean, for, for those of you that are parents, it's kind of tough. Our first go-around, it was a lot easier. We had a really clear mind uh, or a clear decision about what we were going to name him. Uh, his name was going to be Beckett, and the, our family generations ago had decided on what his middle name would be because it was going to be whatever my name is, is the first you know, son's name. It will be his middle name. So first one was kind of an easy um, go-around. And this time, we were like hoping for a girl, and so we had all these girl names picked out. And uh, if, for those of you that don't know, my wife's pregnant. Six months pregnant. Six months? Yeah, we just hit seven months. Are you serious? <laughs> Can we just all take a deep breath for me? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. This is about to get crazy. Um, <laughs> um, but we, this one was a little tougher. We, we thought we had, we had names picked out for girls, and we decided, then we find out it's a boy. And um, we're like, okay, back to the drawing board. So my wife is like really an amazing mom. 
Um, just every, in every way a mom could be amazing. My wife is amazing. And so she's doing what a lot of girls have done, even since they were little kids. They're researching names and coming up with what they want to name. How many of you ladies have had names picked out for a long time? Yeah, most of you. Um, uh, well, she was doing that. She was like making lists, and you want something that's not too popular, but it's, it's not too weird, you know, where your kid, you know, those different things that we think when we're trying to name a kid. And so she makes this long list of names that I'd never met anyone by the name of any of these. Um, she makes this long list, and she's like, which one of these do you like? And I just like, I'm like, none of them. She's like, well, you just pick one of them just that you kind of like. Is there any of them? And I'm like, not really. And so I checked a few of them just to make her happy. And so it just kept getting worse. We'd been talking about this for like six, I guess, seven months. <laughs> seven months. She's counting the days. She's ready for this to be over. But um, uh, I, we were going through this just kind of tussle. And we were on vacation, uh, I guess, a month ago. And uh, it had just got its peak because really, for those of you that know me, um, I really like to get under people's skin just for fun. It's just one of my hobbies. And so um, I, was, I was messing with her. She's coming up with these long names. I'm not, you know, giving her much of anything. And so I'm just throwing out, you know, names I think are really fun and sort of in joking and just messing around. And, and we were on the way to dinner one night on vacation, and we're talking about the names. We're like, yeah, we kind of like this one. And I'm like, I'm really wanting to go back to the one I said before. She's like, which one? I'm like, Captain Huckleberry Nelson. Captain Huckleberry Nelson. I mean, think about it. You know, he, he, he would never get picked last in kickball, right? Who's going to pick Captain last? I mean, it doesn't make sense. It goes against our way of thinking. And then we could call him Captain Huck, which is a little bit like Captain Hook, which is one of my favorite childhood movies. Captain Crunchberry, Captain, Captain Huck, Huckleberry. I think it had a great ring. We were just, and she was just getting angrier and angrier as the days go, were going by, and I was just kind of poking and just not helping the situation. And then that night at dinner, it just comes to us. Her parents are off in, in Maine, and they roll through this beautiful coastal town that Taryn remembers going to of Camden, Maine. It's this beautiful coastal town this summer. And then um, she's, I'm like, where are they at? She's like, they're in Camden. I'm like, I like that name. <laughs> she's like, me too. So that's how our, our next child has been named. His name's Camden. And so uh, anyway, but we all have these kind of different feelings about names. Some of us have plans. Some of us have had different feelings about our own names. Like you ever had that kind of thought? Like if I could name myself anything I wanted or some of you have chosen to change your name or go with your middle name. You have different emotions. And just as much as we have that with our names, we have that with our identities. Some of us are, are maybe even struggling from an identity crisis and we don't even realize it. So over the next four weeks, we're going to dive into really names. And, but God's doing more than just changing a name. He, he's changing his calling. Not changing his calling, he's revealing, he's unfolding the calling that he has for people and, and drawing them into just a pursuit of him and, and the calling that he's given them. So we're going to do um, just the first couple of weeks, we're going to go into the Old Testament, a couple of incredible people in the Old Testament, and then we're going to look into a couple of stories uh, in, the, in the New Testament uh, in the final two weeks of the series. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Today we're going to um, focus on um, really one of my favorite stories, and literally one of my favorite songs. I was going to play it this morning, I've decided not to, but one of my favorite songs and, and favorite stories in the Bible is the, the story of Abraham and Sarah. It's just been literally just a beautiful story to me. And so I'd like to do, just for a minute or two, before we dive into the text we're going to spend, give you a little recap on Abraham and just kind of the story that's um, taken place, because I think it just kind of you know, gives light to the situation, kind of know a little bit of the history that's been going on. You ever, like, first meet someone and then you kind of maybe have certain thoughts about them, but then you kind of get to know where they came from, and it kind of all makes sense to you, and you kind of just love them. 
You know, you know what I mean? You just kind of love somebody more. So I want, I want us to love Abraham. So I want us to get a little bit of a story. And so Abraham, or Abraham, before he was called Abraham, his name was Abram, um, before the big name change. So I just gave away the big reveal, sorry. Um, his name was Abram. And, uh, and he has a dad. His, name's, his dad's name is Terah. And actually, many times we think, oh, Abram um, was headed towards Canaan, and that was kind of the promised land. But really, his dad, Terah, was the first one to set out towards Canaan which is a really interesting thing that his father had chosen the destination that would be the promised land, not himself. So there's going to be just woven, just kind of nuggets throughout this text and and just write them down and soak them up for our purpose and our promises. Um, So his his dad, Terah, kind of gathers uh, Abram. He has a wife named Sarai, and he has a nephew named Lot. And so Terah, who is the, the, the father, kind of gathers them all up, and they head out. They head out towards Canaan. They're on a journey. And along this journey, um, they kind of get rested in a place, and, and they just kind of settle there for quite some time, like a really long time. Like people are like living and dying, and they're still living. And, and so a lot of people have gathered there. Terah, or Terah, or Terah, whatever you want to pronounce his name, ends up dying right there. And uh, after that, we're going to go to um, Genesis chapter 12. They've rested in this place for a long time. And let's read these first few verses here to uh, really see what happens next. Uh, because God's going to give some promises to, to Abram. Again, it's Abraham up there. So let's go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Do we have that up there? Yep. Uh, do we have 1 through 3, or do we just have 3? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll jump to it in Scripture. That's why you have your Bible up here, right? Um, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. If you'll go with me there. Previous page. Um, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, uh, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse you, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Um, Yeah, that's the. I must have given you guys the wrong scriptures. I'm sorry about that, guys. Uh, I will bless you, uh, those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Uh, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Okay, so God gives him this incredible promise um, that he's going to bless him, but he's given him an, also a really difficult task. He says, leave everything. Like, and I, I don't want you to just leave. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. He's like, I'll show you. Like how many of you, before you leave the house, put it in the GPS before you leave? Anybody, you know what I mean? So he's telling him to leave uh, um, without knowing. And, and literally, when we came to, to plant this church, the, the entire year before that, I could not get away from this one scripture that said, go to the land that I, I will show you. Because literally, we knew we were supposed to plant a church kind of as that year progressed, but I had no idea where God was taking us. I had no idea. I didn't know if it was the East Coast, the West Coast, it was internationally. I had no idea. I'd said, yes, God, we're doing it. Me and my wife had agreed this is the time to do it. We had no idea. And this, I couldn't get the story away from me. I'll just show it to you. And, and let me just be real. That's a scary place to go. Like the first time you go somewhere, it's, it's frightening to leave somewhere without knowing where you're going to land. And some of you may be in that place in your life right now. So look at verse 4, and it says this. So Abram left. So Abram left. And, you know, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to leave. Like, the hardest thing isn't maybe down the journey. The hardest thing is taking that first step of leaving. 
Uh, how many of you guys ever uh, packed up for vacation? You're getting ready for vacation. Everybody's really excited until you start to try to make your way to the car, and then like things are just falling apart. By half an hour down the road, everybody's fighting. You're like, I just want to go home. I just want to get out of the car with these people. Anybody ever been there? Like the, sometimes the hardest part is leaving, and, and it can be so difficult for us. And so they leave Abram, Sarai, and Lot, and they head out. And on this journey, it's a long journey. They're headed to Canaan, still the place that his father had set out for. And a couple of times he stops and he makes altars. Uh, he makes altars to the Lord and just places to just kind of dedicate and remember what God's doing in his life to focus back. And, and just a place where when he comes back by there, he'll remember what God was teaching him. He'll remember, you know, what God was doing in his life. And, you know, he goes down a little further and I think the stress is building. You know how stress, I was just talking to someone that's been traveling a little bit. It's like, it's exhausting. Like you get back and like you're tired, you know what I mean? And so this journey is exhausting, especially if you're the one leading the trip. And I think Abram's feeling that stress and more than anything, fear, because he's getting ready to come into, um, at the end of chapter 12, he's coming into an, a time really when he, he's afraid because they're, they're having to pass through this one area and he's afraid that this king is going to take his wife because she's beautiful and just do whatever and he'll, they'll kill him. So this, he's beginning to be driven. His calling is being um, skewed by his fear of what is to come. That's one of the biggest fears we have, is like, what's ahead, right? We have that, that feeling. And so in the pursuit of our promise, we're going to have those fears. And so uh, he ends up having his wife lie. He lies. He says it's his sister. She ends up, like, you know, going into, like, the, the king's castle. And who knows what's done to her, because she's a beautiful woman. Chances are she's probably treated like some kind of slave or, or prostitute. Um, and this is what kind of his lies kind of ensue. And I'm, I'm kind of reading into this. This isn't all exactly in the text, but we can kind of know based on historical stuff. This is possibly something that was going on here. Um, and Abram is really kind of obviously stressed out of this. God ends up showing mercy on them, you know, removes them from that situation. The king finds out, sends them with all their stuff. They get out in the middle of the, the desert, and, and really what Abram wants to do is go back to the first place he, he built an altar. And I think this is just like a self-reflection time. After we make mistakes, we need to reflect. I think he's kind of doing that. I think he's wanting to go back to the place he wants was. I think with our identity and our purpose and our calling and the pursuit of a promise that God has for us, many times the easiest way for us to kind of recover is to go back to that place when we remember where we first were in love, where we were first pursuing that. And that's a good place for us to go back to. That's what Abram does. So they continue on. They get out in, in um, uh, out in the open a little bit, and uh, they've got a lot of like cattle and stuff. Lot's got a lot of cattle. Abram's got a lot of cattle. And it's kind of one of these moments, there's not enough room in this town for the both of us. <laughs> and so at this point, they're kind of forced to kind of split ways. They just think it's the best decision. So one of them heads the other way, one way, and the other one heads the other. So the story continues on. Lot ends up getting captured. Uh, Abram rescues him. So there's a lot of history here that's building. And I know it's boring you, so I want to jump to um, uh, chapter 16. And here's where we're going to get into our text today. Okay, so that's a little bit of the history that's been going on. Um, God's doing a lot in his life. Actually, let's go back. Do you have 15? Do you have chapter 15, 1 through 6? Let's read that before we jump into this. Because God, again, renews the kind of covenant with him, reminds him of, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he says this. This is after everything's happened. He's, he's been afraid. God reminds him, don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. Let's continue. It could be he's sovereign and, and in your great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, 
what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? But Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Um, He took him outside and said, look up to the sky, count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. In verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. We've got to believe in that promise. So God's promising him all these things about descendants and all these amazing things about his offspring. Um, As many as the stars in the sky is going to be his offspring. And for a guy that that, that they can't get pregnant and they can't have kids, this is like one of those kind of far-fetched visions. For guys that's, a guy that's getting up in his years, for a man's wife that's getting up in her years, this is becoming more and more far-fetched, and it's hard for him to believe. Scripture says that he believed. That's a big thing. So let's jump to chapter 16. We're just going to work our way through our text. A lot of times I'll pick out specific verses, but in something that's just a beautiful text, and it's so rich, I, I just want to dive into it. If you'll allow me to, we'll read through and just kind of recap as we go. So now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. And again, this is a big deal because honor and shame is built on an, an heir for, his, in, for an inheritance to pass everything on to, for his name to continue on. We understand this a little bit in our culture, but in their culture, it was life and death. It, it was shame in front of everyone. And so our culture is different beyond, uh, in, in that way, and just a, a hair. But now Sarah, Abram's wife, she hadn't born any children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. A new character here, Hagar, she's a slave. Um, so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Okay, Um, ladies, do you have any thoughts on this situation? (laughs) I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, Okay, and, and here's, I think more than anything, Sarai is beginning to lose faith. I think Abram believes, we'd just seen this in the previous chapter, Abram believed God credited him as righteousness. I think Sarah's, Sarai is beginning to kind of lose faith. And she can't really believe that what God told them, that, that, that what, you know, this was actually going to come to fruition. And so what happens when we stop believing is we begin to accept less. We kind of make excuses for God as if he won't show up. And, and it's just a lack of faith. And so one of the first things we need to grab a hold of is that we cannot stop believing when, when everything feels like there's something in the way, there's a way it's not going to happen, we cannot stop believing. I love Journey. I love the song, Don't Stop Believing. And I would love, for just a second, if we could all sing that together. (laughs) Just do my heart good. You guys ready? You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys ready? Don't stop believing. All right, now this part. Hold on to that feeling. Okay, we'll leave it right there. So good. Journey has such good anthems, right? It's one of my goals. I like the new lead singer, too. I think he's really good. Um, Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Let's continue on a few verses, and then we'll kind of dive into what this is really looking like on the real. So Abram, uh, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Let's continue on. We're looking at sister-wives situation here. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Hagar despised Sarai. Okay, this is getting weird. Um, it's turning into like a, you know, sister-wife situation. 
And, and here's what, um, guys, you need to grab onto. Ladies, we need to grab onto. Ladies, if, if you tell a guy to do something stupid, he will probably do it. He's not as smart as you think he is. I'm not as smart as you think I am. If you tell a guy to do something, he'll probably do it. And guys, if a woman tells you to do something stupid, don't do it. It's a trap. Okay? <laughs> we've got to be wise here, okay? And so you, we've got to know what's wisdom, all right? And, and not give up on the promise that God's given us. And that's what's taking place. And it begins to, to despise each other because now Hagar's pregnant and she's like, oh, I should be kind of the queen of the house. And, you know, Sarah's obviously not happy with that. Then Sarah said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Can you see this husband-wife? You're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put, your, put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. The Lord judge between you and me. Let's look at verse 6. Your slave is in your hands. This is Abram, and I think he's just like washing his hands like, look, let the cat fight begin. You guys work it out by yourselves. You're in charge. You take care of whatever you decide to do with her. Just I don't want to hear it. You ever heard a guy say something like that? Okay, dads have probably said that. Uh, Do with her whatever you think is best. So what did Sarah do? (laughs) She mistreated her. She's like, she's going to be a jerk to me. I'll be a jerk to her. So then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. She took off running. How many of you guys ever in a situation and it gets heated, and what's the easiest thing to do? To bounce. Like, it's the easiest thing to do in the world is to take off, okay? And that's kind of what's taken here. Hagar takes off, and so we really just got to grab a hold of it. We can't stop believing, and we've got to use discernment and wisdom the entire time. Many times we're just caught up in our own world, our own promises, our own dreams, but really this is about unfolding the identity that God's given us, the, the, the final destination that the Father set in motion. So we've got to grab a hold of that. Verse 7, we're going to see she's out in the desert now. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. Let's continue. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? So if you're out, if you're running, like wouldn't you love to see an angel show up? That'd be like, thank God, like everything's going to be okay, but like let me just go ahead and set you up. Like this isn't touched by an angel, angel. It's like Chuck Norris angel, okay? It's going to be a little bit tougher than what you think. What's the last thing you want to hear when you're lost? Like, it, you, last thing, you, do you know where you're going? No, I don't know where I'm going. Like, it, when you're running, that's the last thing you want somebody to ask you what's going on is where are you going. But I think um, Hagar kind of, you know, stands right up and is honest. Like, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. I think in, in, when we find ourselves off from the course of what God's planned for us, the best thing we can do is just be real. Most of us want to hide. Most of us want to lie. We want to make excuses. But I don't think the church should be filled with people who make excuses, but people who repent. I think that's why a lot of our churches are in the shape they're in. Because we're, we're not willing to be real and honest. And when we may have just missed it. God's merciful. And he exalts the humble. And, and he gives grace and mercy to those that return. And, and, and so God, I think it is bringing something to light here that just be honest, be real. And Hagar is that. God blesses her for it. She answered. Let's continue. Verse 9. Then the angel of the Lord told her. This is where he turns into a little bit of Chuck Norris angel. I don't know if it's a man or a woman. But he said, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And, and so here's the, the thing we've got to hear. Sometimes in the pursuit of our promise of, of the dream that God's given us and, and unfolding our identity and purpose of why we're on this earth, we've got to make tough decisions. We've got to respond to truth in the right way. We have these opportunities where we realize maybe we're not going the way we should and we've got to make a tough decision. And sometimes the decision is to go back 
sometimes keep on. We've got to follow the Lord and see what he says. But ultimately, he's telling her, go back and submit to her. Okay, who would be down for that? That's like the last thing you want to do. I'm running from her for a reason. I don't want to go back. So he's presenting a very hard truth to go back and, of all things, submit to her. And so this is a tough time. I think this is, okay, I was hoping for like a really hope-filled message from the angel, and now the angel's telling me something really tough to do. Verse 10. The angel added, I'll increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. It's a very similar message that we get from, um, from God to Abram. Um, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you're now pregnant. You'll give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. It wrapped up in Ishmael's identity is that the Lord has heard him. That the Lord has heard him. What an incredible identity. And with the names we've been given, I don't know how many of us have like, feel like we have like a real spiritual name. I don't think Kyle was in the Bible. So, you know, you know a lot of us can't get a grasp of that. But beyond the name is the identity and the calling that God's placed in our life. And that's, that's not going away. And the angels kind of bring her incredible news for a woman who's been a slave, who's been a servant, who, who's kind of going through a really tough time. I mean, you know, being mistreated, having to make tough decisions, running out in the middle of the desert as a single woman at this time, just by herself, not an easy thing. And she's giving this incredible promise, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Um, and that's just an incredible identity wrapped up into Ishmael. And so I think it's about to get a little bit weird here. So you guys okay with it? Verse 12. Okay, so she was really excited that she's going to have a, a baby. But then the angel says, and he will be a wild donkey of a man. You ever got that promise over your kid? He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He'll live in hostility towards all his brothers. Like, what happened to, like, the really peaceful message of hope? <laughs> you know, if I'm going to have a baby, the Lord hurt my misery, and now it sounds like there's more misery to come. This is a, probably a frightening thing, and, and when we look at it like that, I, I doubt that she, that she really maybe, I don't know, maybe she had a, a greater grasp than I do on that. But anyway, this is what it says, the wild donkey of a man, his hand will be against everyone. There'll be just tension and hostility toward all his brothers in verse 13. And this is where it really begins to hit home. She's, I think we have to remember in this process that ultimately we have to keep believing. We have to make some tough decisions along the way, but there's some power, what's about to be spoken in our personal identities and callings. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. Throughout scripture, we see where people give God's names, and they identify him. And, and right here she says, you are the God who sees me, el Roi, which means you're the God who sees me. That's what, that was the name she attributed to God. You saw me. The identity of the son was that God heard me, and now the identity is you saw me. And this is powerful. She, for she said, I've now seen the one who sees me. I've seen the one who sees me, and I think this is enormous when it comes to our purpose and calling. A lot of us are trying to figure things out. A lot of us have dreams and purposes for the future, but when we really get a hold of, of the unfolding plan that God has for us, it's when we get a picture of him. We get a picture of Christ, and maybe we're struggling through what God's doing in our life right now, and we just need to fix our eyes on the one who sees us. He sees us. I've seen the one who sees me. Uh, uh, you ever caught like eyes with somebody like awkwardly? Like looking across the room, we were sitting at dinner last night and Taryn was like trying to like mouth real softly because some lady behind her was like staring at her and she's like kind of awkwardly smiling at her. And um, 
you know, she didn't say anything. That's all she said. Like, she's kind of awkwardly smiling at me. And it's kind of awkward when you catch eyes with somebody. So Taryn looked back over, and she was smiling again. So Taryn's like, <laughs> just like <laughs> smiling back. Like, what do you do? Um, we probably had those awkward kind of encounters with eye contact, but maybe we've even had an encounter where we looked at someone that we were in love with, and that eye contact was something much deeper than that. And you didn't have to say anything. You just knew. I remember when Taryn and I were dating, we were first, before we would tell each other, I love you, we would just look at each other, and we'd ask each other, what are you thinking? And she'd go, I don't know, what are you thinking? <laughs> she gets real embarrassed. So I'm kicking on. I, like I said, I like to get under people's skin, so I'll just keep doing it. <laughs> she turns red really fast. But we caught, you, you've had, maybe you've had one of those experiences where you catch eyes with somebody, and it's deeper. I believe that that's what God wants to do with us today is to catch eyes, to get a glimpse of Christ, to get the one who, who set forth the, the dream, who set forth the destination, the, the purpose, identity in our life, get a glimpse of him, and I think things are going to begin to unfold and become more clear. Uh, how many of you out there uh, like the show Bachelorette? Okay, one or two fans. I probably believe there's a lot more of you that don't want to admit it probably believe that. Okay, so I'm not a fan, honestly not a fan, um, but my wife is, she's into it, she likes it, um, and, and I, you know, by happenstance, you know, we'll be watching it too. So this past week, it's getting really intense for those that don't know <laughs> what's going on in the show. Let me catch you up. There's a big finale tomorrow night, boosting ABC's ratings. Big finale tomorrow night, and uh, it's down to three guys. So it starts with like a, a woman's like dating like 20-something guys, just a little bit weird, a lot of slobber, you know, going back and forth. So um, she's dating, like, all these guys, and then she's kind of narrowing it down, eliminating them. This is the final rose. Dun-dun. You know, it's, like, really intense. And so eliminating all these guys to really find out who she's supposed to marry. This is supposed to be, like, you know, match.com in front of your face, you know. Um, and, and so she's, she's doing that, so she's down to three guys. And so part of the storyline and part of the way they produce and write the show, because these shows are produced and written. You know that, right? They're written? Okay. Um, so the way they do it is that the person, like the, the bachelorette or the bachelor, they cannot tell who they love along the way, who they're really into. They can't reveal that because that would kind of make the show really lame, right? Like, we'll send everybody else home. Let's just focus on the one relationship. Not how the show is built. She can't tell them she loves them. Okay, so usually what happens at the very end of the show, there's three guys, and uh, I think it comes down to two guys, and, you know, she eliminates them, and, and, and you know, one of the guys is going to get down on a knee, she's going to accept, and then the other guy has the most heartbreaking thing in the world. He gets down on one knee, and she's like, stand back up. <laughs> Worst thing in the world, okay? And so this, this is, like, what's going on in the show. I'm sorry, I'm very intense about this. Um, and so uh, this past week, what happened as I was watching it, I haven't watched all of them, but this dude, his name's Brooks. I remember his name because he has great hair. Appreciate some great hair. And he's like being real. He's talked to his family and he doesn't feel like he loves her. Okay, that's messing up the show. So he kind of has to break the news to her. Like, I don't love you. Like, I respect the guy for being honest and not like trying to play out this celebrity game for the next couple of weeks. And so he, um, he, he just sits her down and she can kind of tell what's going on. And he just like begins to like, let it all out about what's going on. He doesn't love her. He did it in a very gracious way, in my personal opinion, but not really good way to break that news. Um, and so she, uh, or he relays that information, and she falls apart. He's very composed, hurting, struggling through this. It's very obvious. She falls apart, and, and she goes, I don't care. I love you. 
That's like, you can't do that. You can't do that. You're messing up the show. I'm sure writers are like, you can't say that. You're ruining the show. What are the other guys going to think when they say this? When she, they, she's already said that she loves this guy, and this guy just broke her heart. And so immediately you begin to see his demeanor change. After he heard the words, I love you, her demeanor, or, or his demeanor began to change, and slowly but surely as the show was going off, he was falling apart, boo-hoo crying, because he feels like he probably made the worst decision he ever made. I'm just kind of reading into the situation, okay? <laughs> my personal, this will be on my blog this week, not really. <laughs> Bachelorette's not going on my blog. But there was something that happened there when he heard the words, I love you, what he was waiting for, what he was hoping for. He might have been afraid that she wouldn't reciprocate. He would be the one left to stand back up. But he heard the words and it, and it changed his demeanor. And I don't know what that actually means for him emotionally. I'm probably reading into it way too much. But I think this speaks something, the same thing of catching eyes with someone. When, when we begin to, to get a real clear glimpse about who God is and that it, it, it's not supposed to be fear-driven. He's not a God who's out to, to strike us dead or to catch us at every wrong, but he's a God who loves us who's a God that wants to be in relationship with us, who wants to do incredible things in our lives, that has a purpose and a call in our life. It changes us. It changes our demeanor. It changes the way we think. And in just a second, we're going to find out how much it changes even our posture. So let's finish this last couple of verses. This is powerful. This is why they called the well called Be'er Lahairo'i. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. And basically, it's the living one who sees me. They named that place the living one who sees me. It's so powerful. Let's finish out this chapter and jump to chapter 17 for a few verses. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son he had born. Verse 16. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. 86 years old, okay? So we're going to fast forward just a little bit to chapter 17, um, and this is the end of the chapter, and it picks right up chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, 13 years later, the kid's 13 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blamelessly. And some of us, maybe this is just we don't need to hear anything else this morning. We just need to hear this message right here because it'll make everything different. It's not time to get like a new purpose, a new calling. God's not changing everything about our life. He wants us to grab a hold of this right here. I'm God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Just maybe that's the only kind of restoration to our calling we need is just to walk faithfully and blameless. Today, we don't have to change everything. We just need to walk faithfully and blameless we'll find ourselves in pursuit of really of the promise and what God's given us. And look what happens here in verse 3 in just a second. Let's continue on. Then I will make my covenant between me um, and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Over and over, it's been about numbers. It's been about descendants, about offspring, as many as stars in the sky. This incredible kind of promises as it seems. God reminds him to walk faithfully and blameless. He reminds him of the covenant. Over and over again, he reminds them what he's promised him, and, and it's about to change here in verse 3, and let's look at what happens. Abram fell face down. 
mean, that's a response to your calling. I mean, that's like face down. We're not talking about on your knees like this face down or like this face down. It means prostrate, which means laying straight out, face to the ground. And for those that, that watch maybe UFC, this is the most defenseless position a person can be in. If you think of it like UFC, someone could be on top of you, and you cannot defend yourself, you cannot protect yourself when you're face down. And many times all we want to do is protect our future, protect what we think it should look like. We want to guard these things, and Abram responds to God's covenant this time differently. He's been through enough stuff, he's over it, he wants what God has for him, and maybe that's where you're at. And maybe it's just time for a face down moment today. Maybe you're just really serious about what God has for you in the future, your purpose, your calling. God's unfolding your identity as you pursue him, and it's time for a face-down moment. And if you want to do that, you've got to change your posture. Jesse's hit this over the past few weeks a couple times. Change your posture. And then I want to, I want to show you what happens next. This is incredible. As for me, this is my covenant with you, okay? We remember all these covenants. We remember how they've gone before. You will be the father of many nations, No longer will you be called Abram, your name will be called Abraham, for I have made you a father. He says it again, a father of many nations. It's been about offspring and descendants and all these things, about keeping your family going, but now you're going to be a father. His posture brought in kind of, I think, a new unfolding part of his identity that you're not just going to have kids, you'll be a father. There's a difference. Some of you are living that out in your own lives. There's a difference between someone who has kids, plants a seed, and someone else who is a father. And God reminds him, your identity will be, you'll be a father of many nations. Let's continue on. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. This is different than just descendants and offspring. Now he's talking about kings and nations coming from him. Continue on, verse 7. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to to be your God um, and the God of your descendants after you. Let's just keep moving. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I'll give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. God said, as for you, you must keep my covenant you and your descendants after you for the generation to come over and over again. This is, this is a whole other level of his identity and his purpose about being a father. And maybe that, that's going to happen today for us as we take a posture today uh, in our hearts, maybe in our bodies, uh, of just being face down. And as we change our posture, God will unfold that to a whole another level. And it's going to go on to talk about uh, an element of their um, covenant that's like mass circumcision is about to go on. I'm going to save everybody that few verses. And let's jump to verse 15. I think it's verse 15 uh, here in just a second. Um, let's go there. Verse 15. Yeah, continue on. Verse 15. Yeah, God also said to Abram, Abraham, as for, as for Sarah, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Continue. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Uh, uh, an identity that goes right along with Abram's because of, Abraham's because of his uh, posture that he took. It, it transformed her, even though she wasn't believing. And, and we're going to dive into this further in this series that your calling can affect someone else's calling. What, you know, a moment can change for a family member, for a friend, because of your faithfulness. 
And I just want to just invite you to take a posture before God today. Take a posture that, that would unfold our identity and our purpose at a whole another level. Because the posture comes before the promise. Posture comes before the promise. And maybe you're just hanging on to that. God, um, uh, Abram asked that he would bless Ishmael. God agrees to bless. They do a mass circumcision. I'll save you all that. They have their, their son. And God blesses at a whole other level. As the band comes up, I just want to ask you the question, like, what's God speaking to you right now? Is it just a time just to, like, dive in and keep believing? Maybe just remember the covenant that he's given you and to be faithful and to be blameless in it? Maybe, maybe you strayed from it and it's just time to be real. You've been running and you just need to be real and be like, I'm running, straight up. And maybe in the next few moments when we give an invite for communion and prayer, maybe you need to go back there and you just need to tell somebody, I'm running. Or you just need to tell somebody, I, I want it. I, I want what God has for me. All of our identities are different. Your name is unique. You, I, I don't even know if there are names that are exactly the same. Even if they're the same, that might be spelled a little differently here. But I believe that, that God has a unique calling on each of our lives, a unique purpose. That even if your name's the same, God's got something unique for you. And I believe that as we begin to pursue him and pursue the promise that he's given us, it's not just going to happen. It's not just going to show up in a basket. But each day it'll unfold as we pursue the promise. As we're faithful, it'll unfold. And, and we don't have to worry about seeing everything because he's going to show you when you get there. And there's been moments I've experienced in my life. And for those of you that have been around full, like full-time ministry and, and what we do, it, let me just be real, it's tough. Like it, It's really tough and like, I'm not saying that so I can get a pat on the back or whatever. It's a, it's a, tough, it's a tough gig. Um, very frustrating, very stressful at times, uh, very taxing on your body and mind and soul. And there's been times where like, dude, I was ready to, where's the towel? Like, I want the towel so I can throw it in. And there's just been these like glimpses of sometimes of, of God reminding me of the covenant, telling me just to be faithful and at other times, it's been the face of someone else. It says, this is why you were created. It's been a conversation that reminds me, this is why you're here. And maybe we just need one of those glimpses today. Maybe it's someone, what someone will hug you and say your name today. Maybe it'll be in prayer with the Lord. Maybe it'll be in, in your own face-down moment that we might need to have today. Or maybe it'll be just telling someone else those things. But I want to invite you to prayer today, if we can stand. We're all unique, going through different things. God's got different plans for our lives. United here in this place. I want to pray a prayer of just submission and repentance that God would draw us into his heart. And we'd pursue the promise, pursue the one who sees us today. God, we're humbled that you choose us. God, we're humbled that you love us more than we can fathom or understand, God. And I just pray right now that we would get a glimpse of the one who sees us, God, not just a dead God, God, not just a, a, a dead book, but God, 
truly the living one who sees us. And we would kind of mark this place in the sand. We'd build an altar. God, we'd fall face down. God, we would be transformed. Our life would be unfolding, not as we designed, God, but as you designed. Helps to find identity in Christ and Christ alone. Help us to find our identity at the feet of the cross, face down. We love you today, God. In Christ's name, amen.